the Bad and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me, coming back from an extended break, is Kevin. Hey, everybody. How are we doing today? So, Kevin, what's your top five uh, musical failures? Or a better phrase, is it better to burn out or then fade away? I love it, man. Um, I was thinking about uh, when we were going to, you know, when I heard we were going to talk about this, about like how we could, how I could tie in some sort of top five. And there's no way I could narrow down five things I love about this movie. This is uh, honestly one of my favorite movies um, that honestly I haven't seen in a while. Um, and, but I was still excited to talk about it, but I, I was really into this movie. Um, I think a lot of people probably got into this movie uh, when they were in college, especially if you're in college after this movie came out, like this was like a quintessential college movie for me. Yeah. Um, uh before uh, and for those of you who don't know, we're talking about a high fidelity uh, from 2000, co-written and starring uh, John Cusick, and what I would call his probably his best work, and uh, along with Jack Black and kind of the movie that sort of set him kind of ahead, you know, in like really his career going, and uh, a few others with a lot of interesting like uh, guest stars, including Tim Robbins, Lily Taylor, and. Um, uh, it's one of those films where you got a lot of uh, like, oh, wow, this person. I mean, there's a Bruce Springsteen cameo. Well, and so when I think about this movie, um, that's that's the first thing I think about. I think my favorite thing about this movie is the little Bruce Springsteen cameos where he's he's hearing the Bruce Springsteen song in his head as he's like congratulating himself on. I guess the main crux of the plot is that he's like reliving his greatest breakups. Yeah, this um, film is essentially it's based on a you know book by um, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Nick Nick Hornby. Hor- Nick Hornby. It's set yeah. in England. It, it's a uh, I've read the book too. It, it's it honestly almost exactly like the book. I mean, yeah. it, like almost beat for beat, exactly like the book. It, the only difference is it's translated transplanted from london to chicago yeah and that's a little because cusack one doesn't really like doing accents and two he just knew how to make it work in chicago because that's his hometown right and you know the film i think i I like the fact he said chicago because i think there's a certain uh certain vibe that chicago gives that you know i mean he he started out doing john hughes movies like you know he had a small part in 16 candles he was supposed to be in the breakfast club in the original plan but he actually wound up not being able to so it, I think it's a good little tie. And, you know, something I should point out, you know, for those of you who, who are kind of newer to the podcast, our ver- the very first show I ever did was Say Anything. So, you know, John Cusick has always been one of my favorite actors. Uh, and in the mid 90s, really in the late mid to late 90s, it was a great time for John Cusack. You know, I would say his career really was in a big fire after he made uh, Gross Point Blank. Uh, which he he wrote, which is basically you know a hitman goes to his high school reunion comedy, and it's actually it's one of those movies you just got to see. It's if you have it. love love that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, and I, and in, uh, so uh, that came out the year I graduated from high school and uh, my freshman year of college. So it was you know, a very important film for me. And then this comes out in two thousand, which he and that was my uh, that was the I was. It was. It came out in April of 2000. That was the end of my junior year of college, and I was about to be going to my senior year of college. So this could not have hit a more perfect time for me. I mean, I saw it opening weekend. I've been dying to see this movie. Uh, yeah, I went with some friends. 
believe it or not, one of them was like a kind of a ex girl. Although I wouldn't call us, we didn't really date, but kind of an ex, you know, was actually sitting with me. So I thought that was an interesting kind of scenario. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. Kevin, when did you see it? Um, I would say that I saw it for the first time uh, probably sometime around two thousand four or five. I was that was. Um, I graduated from high school in 2002, so I, I was uh, well into college by then, and um, it was one of those movies that, like, just, I don't know how I had missed it. I think, you know, I was still in high school, obviously, I was probably a junior in high school when it came out, and I, I um, <clears throat> it just kind of passed me by, and uh, I, a roommate of mine, uh, I guess he, it was, I think it was him that had heard something about it, or you know, one of those things. And, and, and honestly, um, I, I was always a big fan of Roger Ebert's review, you know, movie reviews. And so I know, and I know that like, he championed this movie like, oh, yeah. named, I think named it maybe the best of the year that year or one yeah, of the top, top, top few. Yeah. It was in his top 10. And so I had, I had, you know, kind of read about it and, and I was just interested in, and I, there's not a more perfect movie for kind of uh, sort of, pop culture obsessed nerdy types like us tom i would say yeah yeah it's... um and 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 you know I, just to take it back like this is actually uh, to me the quintessential john cusack movie and it and it and it kind of especially when he kind of hit his stride as a leading man as especially a leading man in kind of a romantic vibe if you will yeah and been doing that for on and off for a whole decade, really. I mean, if you or really, I mean, if you go back to say the mid '80s when we did stuff like Better Off Dead and stuff like that, he was kind of like the teen romantic slob. And then he does the movie like Say Anything, which really kind of hit him in a new level. Like, oh, this guy's a really good actor, actor. Right, and and so like you get him, and now he's at the point in his career in 2000 where he's done. He's worked with interesting directors. He just did Being John Malkovich with Spike Jones. He's he was he did the, he had that brief moment in the thin red line like every other actor in hollywood yeah uh he 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 was in a clint eastwood movie he was he was in con air he'd been in kind of an action he, he wasn't really the action piece yeah, of the he, movie but he but he's 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 doing all kinds of different things he plays dramatic he plays comedic he plays um serious he's he's a he, and you know really when you when you think about how he just missed the brat pack 80s thing he kind of sidestep that a little bit he's got that brief moment in 16 candles but well, he's yeah he's a peripheral guy he really wasn't going out and partying with those guys but because he was he had his own kind of gang that included jeremy piven and stuff like that. It's sure and i think it's not in this film because uh which is one of the weirdest things that most of his films he always tries to fit pivot in not in this one and uh I think but i think it's huge about that because i think he wanted to play barry and they didn't want him to play barry yeah, I mean, I think Piven could have been a good Barry, but I think also, you know, you see somebody like a personality like Jack Black, and you know, we've got to give this guy a chance. But just real, just another like quick note on his career. I just think it's so that Cusack was either smart or lucky to sidestep that because he gets say anything, and it kind of puts him on a trajectory to do more interesting things. He's he's working with Woody Allen and. And as a you know, as a very pretty young actor still, and he's working with uh, Robert Altman in the player, and he's he does the Grifters. That's another Stephen Frears movie who, who yeah. directed this movie, uh, and just like it puts him on this trajectory to kind of guide his career a little bit 
into a little bit more of a path. When you look at his output in the 90s, like you said, it's like every hit after hit after hit. Yeah, after hit. and, and uh, let's, let's be honest. He wasn't trying to be the big star. He was trying to be uh, – so he – and, you know, he admits he did Con Air because he was trying to get finance – he was hoping to get a deal with Disney to get – high fidelity off the ground. So it's like, right. he also understood the game. He's like, okay, I'll do this movie. Cause I want to get the, you know, the, get some, you know, uh, get the student behind me. So it's the, I do one for them, one for me. And right. admittedly, I mean, let's we should point that this is from touchstones. This is actually Disney owns. This is a Disney film, which is kind of interesting. They would do something. So meticulously not in their realm. You know, touchstone pictures would do stuff. You know, th- believe it, this was still under Michael Eisner's time, but he liked mm-hmm. having these kind of, smaller i guess you call it romantic comedy but definitely kind of niche films you know as part of their uh you know studio well and then this sets him on the path of like i think this movie sees him in that romantic lead way in such a way to where not that he hadn't done it before but it it kind of it almost he almost gets kind of pigeonholed into it if you look at his next two movies after yeah. high fidelity america's sweethearts and serendipity both of which are kind of uh, not good. Uh, I mean, I, I think America's Sweethearts has its moments. I think Serendipity's almost unwatchable. Well, I, you know, Serendipity is one of those. I, I, I mean, I'll get to that one eventually. It's another one where it's got everything that should work and it doesn't work. Same thing with uh, American Sweethearts. You know, that's a Billy Crystal script that should work and doesn't work. So both those are cases of like. He, he signed on the right project. It just didn't work. Yeah, and I think both of those movies were successful. I mean, it's like I'm pretty sure American Sweethearts was a huge hit, I, I, if I, if no, I remember oh, correctly. It, it did okay, but it wasn't, you know, with the okay. Roberts. You know, if you look at all the people in there, it should be a big hit. It wasn't. Right, well, maybe it, yeah, it underperformed given the yeah. talent. Yeah. So, but this yeah. film's a great one where he, it's a small budget film. The majority, the largest part of the budget went to the music, which. Yeah, this has happened for a few other movies where, yeah, and strange enough, this is the same year as Almost Famous, where that was also a case where one of the mm-hmm. music budget was ridiculously high. So mm-hmm. uh, another two thousand movie we talked about. Heck yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of people point out in two thousand you had this in in this in this spring, and then in the fall you had Almost Famous. And it was kind of like the the big year for like rock obsession, even though in year two thousand, rock and roll in general is not in the bed you know we're at the height of like boy bands and pop music and this is not the that period so it's kind of strange these films were developed in the late 90s before the i guess you call it the fade of rock and roll mm-hmm. and you know within a couple of years it's all digital so you were worry what happens to rob later on but as we both know later on a you know vinyl makes a huge comeback so if rob can survive about five or six years he's going to be have the most popular store in chicago yeah and and this movie does that thing i guess you know like um you know i i assume most people who are listening to this have seen this but you know like the the music element of it is what i think attaches you to it the most like a, a kind of a guy like me like oh my god the soundtrack's so good there's that scene uh, at one point where um, there it's just a day they're just working in the record store and he puts on that beta band song. I will sell all uh, my copies of the beta. Yeah, and he's just like I'm gonna and and like I gotta tell you, man. Like I watched this movie. Like I said, I'm in college, and I he hooked me. I could have bought a copy. I would have bought a copy. I would have been I, yeah, the guy. Like, I, I love that song. I had heard of the beta band, but I never you know the radio stations around it hadn't played it, and I'd never really gotten my hands on it. 
I got the beta band after I saw this movie because I was like, I gotta have this song. This is just that one song, "Dry the Rain," is a great song, and that the way they use it is perfect. So, uh, you know, and that's the thing is like, you know, Rob, Barry, and Dick, which we haven't talked much about Dick yet, are you know these three music. I mean, call them nerds. They're like be, they're in a different category. Like they get you know they get called snobs. They get called kind of a superior. You know, they have a very like we know music, you guys don't. But they all have different, you know, attitudes. You know, Rob's kind of the, he's he's a snob, but he's also like, I'm so kind of tired of being a snob, kind of, a, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of in this apathetic mode. Barry is the, uh, the uh, high, the high aggressive one. And you got Dick who's the most passive aggressive right. character. Maybe that tape I made, for, you know, it's like, and the, you can see they're all basically the, it's like the id, the super ego and the ego. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think like, and I, I think that's one, like, that's the smartest thing about this movie is it, it's a movie that makes narcissists likable, right? Like, yeah, like, like, like they're, they're all so like full of themselves and they pride themselves on this trivial pop culture knowledge that only they care about. And, um, and they and they do kind of thumb their nose at people, but it's like you think about like the main plot of the story is, but it's very very simple. There's not really much one. It's Rob is John Cusack character, and he's breaking up with, uh, or he just is in a breakup with uh, his current girlfriend Laura, and it kind of sets him on this path to like reexamine why his relationships fail and why he seems to always kind of get dumped or whatever, or does and, he? or does he? And that's the thing, like right. So he's so into himself that he doesn't obviously realize um, the good things that are in his life. It's like everything is a sad pop song. I think that's kind of the moment in the movie, right? Like, am I it, that's sad the because... Part, I, that's the, part, right? the opening yeah. of the film is, you know, uh, he talks about how depressing song lyrics are. And goes, you know, was I listening to pop music because I was, in, was, I was miserable or was I miserable because I was listening to pop music? And you're like, right. yeah. And, and that's such a iconic, you know, f- you know perspective. Now, as it being a Nick Hornby character, Nick Hornby does not write good, uh, likable characters. You know, about a boy, he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fever Pitch, he's a kind of a jerk. Right, he's, another he's, se- others. Both of those characters, self obsessed, kind of narcissistic. They're islands. They're in their own world, yeah. and they're not. They don't. They don't really care about other people. Rob's right. this unique thing where he does care, but he's so. He, he said, I mean, when they, he gets called an asshole, not once does he disagree with it. He is proud to, he's, yes, I am mm-hmm. an asshole. He, he knows this, but he also doesn't understand how bad of an asshole he is. <laughs> right. And in the, in the, in the trips down memory lane, you know, when he goes and he goes through the list and starts meeting his old girlfriends that dumped him. And he, like, that's kind of what he comes to realize is that he was always, he was always just an it asshole. Was, it was, it was either him or, or it didn't have anything to do with him. Like when he calls about the first girl, which is the girl he only went, you know, kissed for three days in a row when he was in middle school, that's uh, been driving him crazy for 20 plus years. When he and he just gets it. And he just like gets her mom on the phone, right? And that's yeah, all. He gets she, her mom on the phone and she's like, <laughs> no, her, she married her only boyfriend. And then when he gets off the phone and he's like, Allison married Kevin. This had he, nothing to do with me. And he's like, she oh. married the next guy. Yeah, <laughs> the guy she he, she passed him over was the guy she stayed. With, she only wanted, so it had nothing to do with him at all. But he's been obsessing about it for twenty plus years. And then we get to his high school girlfriend, who he thought was rejecting him. Reality, she's just, 
she just didn't want to have sex that young. And right. He, and he dumped her, and he, but his his all stupid mind, he thought she was that she rejected him to sleep with some other guy. Right. Yeah. But reality, yeah. she almost got raped by that guy, or kind of did. You know, it's right. It, it's a uh, pretty like he's like, oh crap, I, I yeah, I I hurt her, but he he also doesn't realize he doesn't take it like apologize. He's just like, all right, moving on, and you realize no, he's. It has it hasn't clicked in his head yet, and you realize you know, when you get to Charlie, that's uh, Catherine Zeta Jones' character. He's got this, and he, he's so like messed up about that relationship more than anything else that he has he can't you know he's been in a study of growth, and it's what is it his fault or is it her fault, or did he just completely put this relationship in some kind of glass jar that he doesn't want to understand? Right, and you know if. uh it's a weird case where you do you like Rob or do you want him or do you hate Rob? Now you love him for some things and you hate him for other things, but that's also because he's such a well-developed character. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like that's one of the things about this movie that is interesting. I, I, like I talked about the, like their Nick Hornby characters, they're, they're self-obsessed and they're, they're kind of narcissistic and, but they're, but the good thing about all, like all, every character in this movie is likable, uh, in in a in a way like 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 that to me is the interesting. We just said they're kind of unlikable and they're assholes, but but actually like I care about every character in this movie, and the especially in in my favorite scenes like in the relationship with um, Dick and Barry who work in the record store. Barry's the Jack Black character, and Dick is played by um, Todd Luizzo. And they're they're all just such funny, likable characters. They're the kind of people that I like to hang out with, right? Yeah, so you've got I don't know these if, friends. Yeah, I don't know if you're going the nerdy vibe on this one, but like I, I would say, like this is a this is like a king nerd movie, especially if you're into pop music and uh, yeah, I mean, old rock and roll. And if you switch this to a comic book store or a video store, yeah, it's like there's you could move these, you can move this to different situation and have the same you know you know same kind of conversation you know, if it was a comic book store you could have them arguing about different comic books and same thing they mimicking their top five books you go to a movie if it was a video store they'd be it's the same thing it's like but you know music however is even more unique because it's such a wider perspective and that's what mm-hmm. i you know i get a kick out of it because you know when barry makes his hat his monday morning pop tape it drives Rob crazy, but right. you know, it, but he also what well, Dick puts on you know something that makes Rob comfortable. You know Barry can't stand it, but that's how music is with friends. You know when you hang around, there's going to be the guy who plays a song you don't want to listen to, and you may get mad and tell him turn that off, or you may just try to suck it up and and sit through until the song's over. But that's with these three guys, they've been doing this to each other for years. You know he says I hired these guys for four days a week, and they start showing up every single day. <laughs> Yeah. I can't fire them. <laughs> they just don't have anything else to do. It's what they get their whole life. And, yeah, that, and, that's and, all they care about is working there. Literally. And I love, and I love some of those scenes, like where they, where they, back, they go back and forth and make their top five list. You know, top five. You know, track one. Yeah. Or, or, or the best one. Oh, uh, so the the Laura character, John Cusack's girlfriend, he's broken up with. Like her, her mother dies, or, or her father her dies. Pop. I can't. Her father it's dies. Her father. And they start to make their top five uh, songs about death. 
Yeah. And 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 Don Louis or Dick, the Dick character, uh says the wreck of the Edmund Fitzger uh, Fitzgerald and Jack Black goes, Damn it, that's so good, that should have been mine. <laughs> like those are those are conversations I've yeah. had with other nerds about music and movies. And yeah, and stuff. like it, I, I've sat around and made top five lists with people. Yeah, and we you know, we're laugh. we're both friends fans of the show um of the podcast film spotting. We both had stuff that you know they read. Our, they've had us on, or they've played sure. our recordings. They've read our letters. Um, yeah, recently they rerun the uh, "Raise the Lost Ark" episode, which I sent them an email, which they turned in one of their greatest episodes ever. Uh, and they do a top five list specifically because the co-creator host is obsessed with this movie, and top five came out of that. And right. so, you know, the cultural impact of this film is pretty big. You know, a year and a half ago, we had the high fidelity TV series on Hulu, which starred Zoe Kravitz and her mom, Lisa Bonet, is in this film playing Marie the Sal. Like the, uh, it's a weird case where is she kind of like a sort of like a. I wouldn't call her a manic pixie dream girl because she's not, but she uh, operates in kind of a weird, you know, she's like this, uh, she's this comfort thing for, uh, for um, Rob. But well, she, and I, she's, well, and I think, sorry, I, I think she, she fortifies his, his innate likability and his, the ease with which he can attract women and, be an interesting man, you know, like he's, he's also an interesting person. He's not somebody who like is some slouch that, that can't just like attract um, a very attractive woman like Lisa Bonet uh, playing, playing this singer songwriter, Marita Sal. And he kind of is smitten with her, you know, he plays embarrassed because he's playing her record when she walks in, comes into the store. And well, it's um, like when he walks into the club, she's performing it. He hears Peter Frampton, you know, maybe right. I love your way. And he's like, right. is that Peter Frampton? And you can tell that I hate this. And then he sees her performing and he's like talking to those guys, I hate this song. And they're like, yeah. And he, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's not, she's, it's, it's, a, we're going back to, yeah, you may hate Peter Frampton. You may hate his song, but when somebody else does it in a way, you're going to love it because that's, you know, the difference. It's like when they argue about covers of uh, different songs and it's the, uh, it's the interpretation. Right. And so, yeah, that's, you know, it's these little details. That, and you could talk up and down about this film because it's it, like a good record. You can skip around to whatever you prefer. Um, one thing I do want to bring up, which is Ian. That's uh, <laughs> Tim Robbins' character, which is such a bizarre jerk. But it's such a, you know, a perfect choice for Tim Robbins. Him and, you know that go way back and you know mm -hmm. they always try to work together when they can in different films and this is like the perfect tim robbins random character to play you know i was supposed to say like the it's almost like it's his character from the player but is a hit but is some new age john tesh you know wannabe <laughs> yeah there, there should there should be uh more i know tim robbins seems to have kind of chilled like uh, in the last 10 years or so but I, I, there should be more of just tim robbins randomly pops into a movie because yeah. that's that's another one of my favorite things about this movie is uh is the tim robbins the ponytailed tim robbins like kind of arrogant uh i don't know how i don't know how, you kind of described it perfectly it's just like this above it all um uh, sort yeah. of trendy I mean 
Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. Rob describes him pretty clearly up front. He's like, oh, you know, awful, awful, you know, like food of the month kind of thing. Yeah, but Latin, whatever English. world music is popular that month, Latin, Bulgarian. Awful, awful, awful ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> But There's that, that and scene you know where, guy, and you know, when he finds out Lars basically moved in with this guy as part of the breakup, he's like, Did yeah. then it starts to become the thing like, Did he run Lara? Did Lara and him break up because of this or that? And, and you know, when we find out the part of the reason why they broke up, you know, except for you know, he didn't know about the Ian thing, it's clear that they were having you know, Lara's not a innocent flower in this deal, you know, but you know, we find out you know, Rob did plenty of damage to their relationship before it, and we never saw the fight that they break up. That's actually the thing that I think is really special about this movie. We just see what happened 10 minutes after they broke up. Well, and because, and that's smart because it's usually not just one thing, right? It's I mean, when you break up with somebody, it's always a, uh, it's always, you can see the signs, you know, it's coming. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that the Rob yeah, character he, he describes all the things that leads to their breakup before they right. have the big fight. It's just the big fight. And you can tell, you know, as she's packing her stuff up, they've just had the big fight where she's like, I'm out. And, re- yeah, reality, she was probably already checking out, but this was, like, the fight that kind of, you know, finished things off. But then again, you know, we she keeps coming back. She, you know, you think some breakup, they don't want to see each other. She keeps trying to get her stuff. Although, reality, she keeps trying to talk to him. Like, she shows up, wants to give him a ride home, she, you know. And he's like, what? And he also is like, what are you doing? Right. Because he's kind of like, I'm going to, you know, he wants to get her back. She doesn't want to come back, but then she also doesn't want to cut out him out either. So when they finally do get back together at her dad's funeral, which is kind of odd, uh, we kind of get the idea is she, you know, he points out she was a wilder girl when they first got together and she kind of got, got serious. And, you know, Rob has never truly grown up in a way, you know, they point out, you know, in his top five careers, he's got architect on his list because that's what he went to college to be and he never Mm -hmm. finished you know i had several friends in college they got it they were going to be architects and after so many you know years of trying uh, just to graduate they quit you know or they uh, switched their majors you know it's one of those the degrees that could kill you know break a person well and she's so laura the laura character is so good because at that scene when she finally comes back and like he's got that top five careers thing she's like you know, wouldn't you rather be the owner of a of a record store, a successful record store, than you know whatever else was on the list? Like, yeah, a, like one's like ro- Rolling, Rolling Stone, Stone journalist in nineteen seventy. Yeah, 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 nineteen seventy four to nineteen eighty three. Yeah, he's very specific. Like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, tour, touring uh, roadie from nineteen sixty six to you know, he's like he's got these specific time periods. It's great to have these jobs. Right, like, as, like in terms of like just nothing. There, he 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 doesn't really live in his own reality, and and uh, you know sometimes a guy like that needs a needs a partner to help him count her blessings. You, you know, know the scene with his, when he, his mom calls him. Yeah, we she left. And her mom, and his mom just starts giving him hell. Uh, and he's like, "Come on." It, 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 yeah, she's so worried. And the, the reality, she won't say it, but she's like, "You're not going to get grow up. You're not going to be able to survive without her." 
and, right, and, there's not anybody better at this at this time. You know, and you're and you're at your age and he needs yeah, your life. Like this is it. This is they it. don't stress how old he is, but he's in his thirties. And he's you know he's not a man child, but he's like one step above a man child. Mm. You know, it's just like her. You know, his record his recollection is way more important than a lot of other stuff. You know, he's upset, so he's gonna reorganize it. You know, chronologically or autobiographically. And that's yeah. his way of that's a coping mechanism for him. So you get these things about Rob that's like, oh wow, this Rob's got problems. Rob's not a good guy. Rob could be a really great guy, but he's just got to move over stuff. And just as he gets Laura back, he starts flirting with that music critic. Right. And he's going to make a mixtape, which by the way, I love that bit because mixtapes was my thing back in you know, high school yeah. and college. And he's like talking the art of making mixtapes, and all of a sudden he's like, when's it going to stop? It's like the the light's clicking on again. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's not dig this hole any further. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Nick Hornby's stories are, are typically about, we've talked about, about a boy in fever pitch. Both of those movies are about guys who are just kind of stunted in terms of like, they're still kind of stuck in this boyhood fantasy or like this teenage fantasy, you know, like, the more even more so in fever pitch um which i've never read that book and i've never seen the i've only seen the american version of the movie it's with, hard to uh, get the jimmy, british with, version because there's some rights issues but i've seen uh, it and uh, the jimmy fallon drew barrymore fever pitch is a great movie i love that movie. i mean i love it it's it's a movie my my wife likes a lot and we're baseball fans so like we kind of really did yeah, it together and, and yeah, the the but he's uh, a very similar character. Yeah, the British one. It's about a soccer team. You know, he's obsessed sure. with or, and but here's the that team never wins. Like the he's obsessed with the team that always loses. Yeah, right. and they they don't win. Like the the you know the thing is like they don't even make it to like the championship. That's you know that's the Fairley brothers making that change. Yeah. Well, that just happened because when they were filming it, the Red Sox actually <laughs> won. Right. It's, so like they were the season. When they were filming the movie, that was the 2004, um, yeah, the 2004, you know, dream Boston Red Sox break the curse season. Yeah, so it kind of worked out perfectly. They reshot, I think, the ending because of it to like, include it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but so, uh, but yeah, related to this though, yeah, as we're saying, you know, Hornby writes characters. The, the guys there kind of got their they're stuck in their obsessions, and Rob's mm-hmm. stuck with really two obsessions, which is obsessions with girls he used to go out with and then obsessions with music and he, he has to try to figure out how to get over the the girls he went out with. you know he's a breakup obsession which as he meets most of the girls that he, on his top five list he knows he realizes okay this relationship wasn't worth it this relationship was i hurt this person and then he finally goes to see charlie his you know the one that's most like he's most been stuck in his head and he realizes oh she's an awful person I'm glad I'm not with her. Sure. <laughs> and, and you, uh, you know, yeah, you know, we also find, you know, it's kind of, I also take, you know, Laura's not the, gr- Laura's got her own demons, you know, the whole bit about, you know, you know, there, there were problems before they broke up, you know, that's a, kind of a two way street, but they write it where it's not just him. He, and he knows that he did his, he did fair share of damage in that relationship, but, they get back together, they get engaged, and then, you know, we have the, the rare, you know, he makes that, he produced that single for this, these punks who literally shop, mm-hmm. he got shoplifting in the store, and we get Barry and his band singing, you know, um, Let's Get It On, and then, you know, that's pretty much the end of the movie, yeah. 
And What's the band great, name? It's got a crazy name. That, well, they changed. It's like Mystic Spiral. They changed it three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's something stupid at first. Band, so. you know, of, yeah. of a new band, like, well, no, that name doesn't work. Let's go with this. Yeah, that's you know, that's just typical. We get you know Jack Black doing a crazy performance, which you know they got him coming off of Tenacious D for uh, this, and that's the other things like it's that it's that peak moment for Jack Black kind of hitting you know the big time here, you know. Oh, I was so obsessed back then, man. Like when ten- the Tenacious D album came out, oh, yeah. uh, I think I was a Rip senior in high school. A classic of classics. It's so good, man. That whole every that whole album's just yeah. so funny. Yeah, and the song, and the, what's great about it is that he's really. Uh, Kevin, what's your final thoughts on this one? Well, I just you know, uh, like I said, it's a very warm movie. It's 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 got that whole it's got that dynamic of. A, a movie that's seemingly about unlockable assholes, but it really, they're very lovable people who you would very much want to hang out with and get to know. I think it's just, it's just one of those classic movies that I think anybody would love, especially nerdy pop culture music lovers like us, uh, but um, oh, yeah. wor- worth seeing. It's on HBO max. So uh, if you have that, let's yeah, and, watch uh, it. It's, eventually it's it'll be, I, I, I know it's going back to Hulu soon because it, like I said, this is a Disney film. So, It'll be there soon. And one thing I, I forgot to mention while we were talking about this, the dream sequence where uh, he's uh, confront, where Ian's confronting him, where we get three different scenarios. You know, we get the Axel scenario, we get the where he chews out Ian, and then we get the the violent death the violent beat down. Yeah. The one thing I thought was interesting, and this kind of goes back to his perspective on his on the on Barry and uh, Dick is in the dream sequence, Dick, who is the most like quiet passive one is the one who does the most violence he's the one that hits Ian with the phone and knocks his teeth out and he's the one that rips the uh, <laughs> the air conditioner off the wall <laughs> yeah. while uh, you know Rob and Barry are just kicking the guy and you know they're like yeah do it and he like Rob tells him to uh, throw it on him and you realize yeah he sees Dick as being like this homicidal maniac that's just you know waiting to explode which well I, I mean I, it's another one of the things like wow I cannot believe these uh twists so or at least how he perceives these guys so but and, and i love that I, I stress everyone who have not seen this film is like it's or if you, you know, go rewatch it there's so many things i think special that need to be uh, addressed specifically you know i love this film it's you know it's in my top 20 it's one of the greatest i would call romantic comedies for guys you know i know a lot of women who seen it, they they like it but they don't love it because it's not you know, John Cusack can make a great romantic comedy for the guys like because he just knows how to write from their perspective. And mm-hmm. I've said for just think this and say almost famous. They're both perfect 2000 movies or because they kind of hit a certain theme that, you know, we lost post 9-11. And, you know, the music industry drastically changed literally as this film was coming out. Right. So I, I've said it for this is the movie that if you're looking for that great capsule what the 90s was like you know there's only a few movies this is the really what one this is one of those films it's yeah i don't like to call it a gen x romance but it is this singles almost famous you get these ones that are of a certain time period and they work so perfectly and in this case it's very time it's timeless in a way that it isn't so so folks oh, please uh if you're fans of podcast hit us up fans of good bad nerdy movie podcast on on facebook we also have our twitter account good bad movie nerdy movie pod and um you know if you know any friends tell them about the podcast please write us reviews on whatever um 
you're using, you know, we haven't gotten many reviews on iTunes lately. So if you're using iTunes, please get us a review. Uh, Kevin, thanks for coming on again. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. It was a great talk. Yeah, I know. Folks, uh, next time you're in a bad breakup, make sure if you're going to revisit all your exes, you just don't, you, know, you don't act like a jerk when you find out you were a jerk anyway. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, and please, 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 please don't let Barry sing. Thanks again for listening.